in Surah Al-Ahqaf, Surah number 46, ayah number 10. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل رأيتم إن كان من عندي من عند الله وكفرتم به وشهد شاهد من بني إسرائيل على مثله فآمن واستكبرتم إن الله لا يهدي القوم الظالمين الله سبحانه وتعالى establishing the means of knowing that uh, human beings, when they want to know something, they have some conventions that they use. History is one convention, and here in this ayah, testimony is another convention, shahada. So say, if you feel that this is from Allah, and then you deny it. While there is a witness from the Banu Israel that they testify to something similar to this revelation, and they believe, Amana. the witness believes, and you become arrogant, then indeed Allah will not guide those who are unjust. So the injustice here is not believing in the truth and not believing in the testimony. So in a legal court, testimony is always evidence. And if you don't follow the evidence and you don't agree with the verdict, then you are guilty of injustice here. The witness from the Banu Israel is the community of the Banu Israel itself as this is one of the later surahs of Makkah, going into Medina, where the, the Jews of Medina, uh, they know about the Qur'an, they know about the Prophet This is a prelude to uh, what the Prophet will be facing in Medina. And the Quraysh also know about the Jews of Medina, and they also know that they have the Torah, how they believe, in uh, Musa, salam, etc. So there's a lot of evidence there. In the Quraysh, uh, through the Banu Israel in Medina. Okay, so the Jews of Medina actually testify to the Prophet وسلم, and to his revelation. Um, and they know that. Some of them do, at least. And that is enough as a testimony. So, no, you have maybe evidence from your history, from your folklore, and from your stories about the Fir'aun, about Nuh, about the Ad and Thamud, and other people whom Allah destroyed. So that is one convention. The other convention is that your contemporary now allies, meaning the Jews and the Banu Israel in Medina, they also testify to the veracity of the Prophet Muhammad and the validity of the Qur'an itself. If you deny this, then you are unjust. So here, injustice is not just that you bully somebody or you kill someone. Injustice is also in your inability to appreciate 
academic, intellectual integrity. So Allah does not guide those people who don't have those values and who don't work on the premise of accepting the truth and so on. So this ayah now shows the Prophet وسلم, that the Banu Israel in principle actually do believe but they will reject his message out of pure jealousy and hasad and so on. وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَوْ كَانَ خَيْرًا مَا سَبَقُونَا إِلَيْهِ فَإِذَا لَمْ يَحْتَدُوا بِهِ فَسِيَقُولُونَ هَذَا إِفْكٌ قَدِيمٌ There's another way that uh, people get around the truth in, in terms of dismissing the validity and the veracity of uh, the message. So they, they have now a more of a societal standard of evaluating the truth. So they bring in another convention uh, to dismiss the Qur'an and to dismiss the Prophet ﷺ. So those who disbelieve, they say to the believers that had this been good, had this been good, had this messenger been good, uh, then these people, meaning the, the lowlife, in their opinion, Muslims, would not have now preceded them in this goodness. Meaning whatever goodness there is in society, we own that. And since we don't own what you say you own, that means that it's not good. Okay. See, we monopolize goodness. Okay. If this had been good, Islam, the Quran, and the Prophet Muhammad, وسلم, then we would have been first in line to accept it, to receive it, to uh, appreciate it, and so on. But since we have not accepted, that means it's not good. The sense of a societal arrogance, the idea of being rulers and people of authority, obviously, this is all based, based on pride and prestige and societal influence. So when you have societal influence, then you navigate and you engineer whatever it is you want to engineer. So this is what the Quraysh were doing. And this is how they tried to demoralize the Muslims by saying that you are nothing and you own nothing and whatever you do own is probably nothing because we have not accepted it and so on. And since they are not guided towards it, they will then say, that this is just a fabrication of the old. This is now old, absolute, antiquated. Number one, number two is the fabrication. So they have two contentions there. One is that it's old and it needs to go away because tradition is no good. And on the other side, it's more of an invention if it's new. Huh? Old fabrication. So the two things there, they're, they're almost paradoxical. So if it's old, then it can't be a fabrication. And if it's a fabrication, then it can't be old. But somehow they manage to couple the two together and make a contention, an argument, by doing that and bringing the two opposites together. As I said, they really thought about this. It wasn't that they just, on the spur of the moment, they came up with some brilliant, ingenious ideas. They actually conspired and they had meetings and meetings, and they actually thought about planning tactics and strategies to uh, you know, defeat the Prophet ﷺ and Islam, and that's what they do. 
And that's what people do here in this country too. They actually meet and strategize. And unfortunately, sometimes Muslims are very naive about how, you know, Islam is now totally wrecked by social media. It's planned, it's organized, it's systematic, it is strategic. And so that's how you gain power, and that's how you keep power, and that's how you control, and that's how you manipulate. And so it takes a lot of planning. Um, and Muslims should learn from that type of work ethic. They have work ethic in the evil. We should have work ethic in good. So we need to sit down and think and plan and strategize. Not just now one uh, spontaneous uh, talk or pep talk or khutbah. And now we know, we know what to do now. It's, it's much more, I, I think, organized than that. It's not based on pure emotion that we can uh, defeat the enemy and we can spread Islam here in this country and all of that good stuff. Hmm? Yeah. So we must learn from how they, as the Quran says, that they plan, they strategize, they, they plot, and they scheme. Okay. Even though they're planning and they're plotting, will move mountains. So we need to learn from that, and that we simply can't rely on karamat. This karama will happen. We'll wait for the Mahdi to come and things will change and so on. We have to organize ourselves, planning strategically, uh, organizing meetings, conferences, conventions, uh, the way that they do here against us. Uh, they actually have yearly seminars on this. Um, while I was in Wichita, I told you the story to some of you before. In the library, I went there. And there was a magazine on the racks which says, you know, the, uh, the defeat of Islam in America. It was on the racks. <laughs> in open public library. Oh, which ties the place, as you know, um, where the interfaith kind of scheme came into being. Interfaith started in Wichita. What I'm saying is that they take time out to do all this is not just one sermon that they go to. They spend hours and hours and they learn and all of that. I went to a Catholic conference of bishops here in Chicago and I went into the room and every bishop has stacks of books on Islam. Stacks of books on Islam. And we want to defeat Kufr. <laughs> By shouting Allahu Akbar. That ain't happening. You understand what I'm saying? You have to organize. You have to spend time. You have to sacrifice your time instead of what I call milk in the fat cow all the time. Instead of enjoying life all the time. If you want Islam to survive and succeed, you're going to have to do much more than what they do to destroy Islam. Nothing happens on media mean mass media, TV and radio, without them planning. It's contrived. It is organized. It is strategic. And so on. So thinking about this in five minutes is not going to cut it. So Muslims, when they had power, they would do this. 
they would also think and organize how to spread Islam in other countries, and they did it very systematically, and they, alhamdulillah, they were successful. Likewise, today, we have to get away from the, the community a kind of emotion uh, that we always want everybody involved in the same thing. No, this has to be a group of people who are now dedicated to this, that they, they can do this only if they have knowledge and if they are plan- they're organized. And so, so this is the same with the Quraysh, that they would sit and talk and meet and organize and plot and scheme. So these, these uh, contentions that the Qur'an brings forward is the result of their spending time doing this, them sacrificing whatever they need to sacrifice in order to bring these ideas into the forefront because they knew if Islam succeeded, their power would diminish. In fact, it would go away. They knew that. So they needed to hang on to all of this, and in order to do that, they, they, they did what they did. But uh, again, the point is that Muslims need to spend and dedicate time, uh, sacrifice something in order to do this. And if, God forbid, something happens to the Muslim community and then a person in high school becomes Christian and we go out and demonstrate, that's not what you want to do. You want to dedicate time to make sure that that doesn't happen. It's planned. I hope I'm getting the message across that you can tell other people. It's organized and it's done with intent. It doesn't happen overnight. And they know the power of Islam. And so, alhamdulillah, we still have freedom of religion here. Allah keep it this way, inshallah, forever. As long as we have that and the freedom of expression then we can do whatever we think we need to do in order to not just survive, but excel, inshallah. And so on. So when you read these ayat, the underlying seerah uh, needs to be now brought forward. That they actually, how did they come up with this phrase, ifkun khadim? The one is a fabrication and the other is old. That makes no sense. This is paradoxical. But they brought it together to show the Prophet they also know Arabic, and they also know how to articulate, and they also know how to relate to reality, and so on and so forth. But this is what we would need to understand, uh, how the Quraysh entered into this field of debate, and so on. So they were debating, and uh, they are smart people too, they're articulating their feelings and emotions and their ideas in the pristine Arabic that they had. And then obviously they were no match for the Qur'an and the Prophet Sallallahu but they still made sure that they, they did this so that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would have a hard time. Mm. And he responds to all of that. Uh, that even before this Qur'an, there was the book of Musa, which you also know about from the Jews, from your friends out there in Yathrib. You know that they believe in the book called the Torah, which they believe is a heavenly book, and it's a book that's revealed to Musa. So that should also tell you that this is not a fabrication, even though it is old. Yeah. Yeah, meaning this has happened in history before the Qur'an 
that Allah speaks to people. Allah reveals now his word to people, meaning the prophets. And this is no different. It's from the same uh, being. This book of Musa was imam, was an imam, a leader, a guide. Since the imam is the guide, uh, that everybody follows. The Quran calls the Torah an imam. That they all followed, and they did. The Jews did follow the Torah, at least most of them. And not only that, it is also a rahmah, a means of guidance, a means of eternal bliss and salvation, and so on. This is how we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describing the previous revelation. And this book here, meaning this revelation, the Quran is a musaddiq. Yeah. The word musaddiq, we must appreciate in terms of um, accepting the truth for the truth. So we see the truth wherever it is as the truth. And uh, we don't deny the truth. Okay. So one of the primary functions of the Quran and of the Prophet ﷺ as the last messenger is to confirm the truth of all the other prophets before him. Which in itself is exemplary. That I'm not here to deny the truth of anyone else who came before me. I'm going to confirm the truth. So we confirm the revelation that came before the revelation to the Prophet ﷺ. And we confirm the truth that is now revealed to those prophets, we are here to confirm the sidq and the truth. We are not here to deny. So we don't have denial in us. We don't reject anything that is true. This is how the Muslim mind works. The absolute truth, meaning aqidah, everything else that we all believe in monolithically. And then underneath Islam and the Quran, Iman, uh, there are some other truths that we also believe in and so on. But it has to be uh, well, someone that confirms the prophethood of others before him, uh, which shows great generosity, magnanimity, and it shows that the Prophet was not uh, there to show people. He's the only one. No. That's not how prophethood works. As he said, that prophethood is a building, I'm the last brick of that building. He did not separate himself from others, which is what you do. You don't separate from the tradition of truth. So this is another angle, this is another convention. The convention of confirming the truth, which in itself is a means of knowledge uh, for us. Musaddiq is the sifa of the Qur'an and the sifa of the Prophet Muhammad that he, he will not underestimate, undervalue any other prophet, nor any other revelation, which goes towards the consistency in the message, which we discussed last week. Lisan Arabian, as it applies and refers to you, because you're Arab, and I'm Arab, and I have been given this revelation, the revelation is in this language the language of the Arabic people, Arabic-speaking people. Yeah. And so that is to facilitate my communication with you and so that you understand the truth 
and so on and so on. There are other reasons why the Arabic is chosen, which you may know and not know. You may read and discuss later, inshallah. Two functions of every Nabi. One is tabshir and the other is indhar. So every Nabi comes with bashara and every Nabi comes with indhar. So he will give glad tidings and he will give warnings. Glad tidings for those who give who do good deeds and those who believe, etc. And then uh, the uh, warnings for those who don't follow the revelation. So, so that is now the dual purpose of every Nabi is to show people the path towards the truth and give them glad tidings if they follow it and to warn people if they don't follow it, which obviously is a tall order. It's not very easy warning people at the best of times. So they need a lot of resolve and they need a lot of conviction themselves, uh, etc. Yeah. So indeed, those people who say Allah is our Lord and then they remain firm on it, they have istiqama on it, then there is no khawf upon them, no fear of the future and in the future there is no grief or sorrow about the past so huzn has to do with something that has happened and khawf is about something that may happen so so before your time after your time everything is there included so that a person who knows Allah is the Rabb and the Lord then he will not be intimidated he won't be anxious and he will not be disturbed, and he will always be resolute and firm. He will have a resolve that no one else has. So this is now how Allah, being the Lord, gives the Muslim confidence. The Muslim obviously needs confidence everywhere, every time, in order to even pray five times a day. You need a certain amount of confidence that what it is you're doing is good and is valuable to you. Being a good Muslim requires that istiqamah, that resolve, that determination. Now that comes when you realize who Allah is. Rabbun Allah. So Allah is our Lord, and our Lord is Allah, and so on. So there are various um, identities or entities, personalities that may be your Rabb in your life, your father, your mother. Maybe your Rabb as the, you know, one eye after this, that will explain that. Everybody sees someone as their role model, either in good or evil. Even evil people have role models, right? Everybody has a Rabb who manages their thoughts, their ideas, and who who develops their mindset and uh, who, who gives them their inspiration and their worldview. And so on. So that's the Rabb. Who gives the Muslim their worldview? Who gives Muslims their inspiration? And who shapes the mind and thinking of a Muslim? So they say Allah. So you have layers of people who are the Rabb. Rububiyah has many levels. The Quran calls the mother and father the Rabb. Rabbil Hamhuma kama Rabbayani Sahira. So the parents are the first uh, port of call in terms of 
fostering an idea or a, you know lifestyle, and more importantly, a worldview. So this is how we see. Then your school schooling, where you went to school, your teachers, coaches, professors, then maybe your friends, then maybe the company you work for, and maybe the country you live in, will also serve as a rub for you. What is your rub here? Who is now controlling your understanding of the world and understanding of you? Who's doing that to you? So anyone who does that effectively and controls you is your rub. Um, so now Muslims say Allah is our rub, meaning Allah who is beyond us, uh, beyond perception, conception, he is our rub. He is beyond time and space because he creates time and space. So no one in time and space is my true rub because Allah is their rub and my rub. Well, so you have to see this ayah as a social manifestation of Tawheed, that in society, I appreciate that others have helped me formulate my ideas and my mission and vision and my lifestyle and my worldview and everything else that comes along with it. But uh, the one being who is now uh, my true Rabb is Allah. Thumma staqam. Then you have to remain firm on this. It's not something you put on the shelf and say, okay, Allah is my Rabb, I know that Sunday school stuff, let's move on. Istiqama is that you bring it down to earth every day. Every time you pray, you know Allah is your Rabb because you're praying to Him, for Him. So He's your Rabb. You don't worship anyone else except Allah. Now, he's your real rub. Now, your parents aren't your rub. Your family is not your rub. Your work is not your rub. Your society, your community, your culture, and your ideologies, and your knowledge, and your country is not your rub anymore when you worship Allah. So the Muslim, by definition, is reminded five times a day that there's only one rub, and that is Allah. And everybody who prays with me, they're worshiping the same rub as I am. So we're all in the same boat. So this kind of societal manifestation of rububiyyah needs to be highlighted. And uh, the people must conceptualize this. Think about it. It's a mental exercise. The ritual of salat is fine. But mentally, how do you appreciate this? Is that you're manifesting this reality that I'm worshiping Worshipping the being who now created me and gave me guidance, basically. And he gave me so much guidance that he showed me how to worship him five times a day. That's the istiqamah. That is necessary. He's showing me that this is halal and this is haram. That is istiqamah there. So istiqamah, which is internal and metaphysical and spiritual now, is materialized, manifested in the choices we make. Oh, there's an issue now. My family wants me to do this, and Allah says this. Who's my Lord? Allah. Allah. There's no tension there anymore. Those who struggle, they have tension, and that tension plays out in anxiety, stress, depression, fighting, anger, blaming each other, and everything else. So istiqaba means that you materialize and you manifest uh, Allah being your 
Rub, your guide, your hadi, everywhere. So istiqama is a tall order. It's not something you say, oh, I, I know, it's very difficult. Then Allah makes it easy for you when you make the right choice. If you make the wrong choice, then your ignorance is compounded and your anxiety is compounded. And then the rest is history, basically. It's a domino effect. Everything goes wrong. Okay. So in societal matters, okay, we have to make the right choice. Allah says this, and you want to do this. Now, why do you want to do this? Because there's another rub I have in my mind. My parents, my family, uh, my tribe, my society, my work, the country, the culture, the Democrats, the Republicans. What do I do here? <laughs> Who is going to have the last say in my decision? For whom do I make the decision? That person being is the Rabb. That's the litmus test. That's how you know Allah is your Lord. All right, it's not something Sufi, metaphysical or mystical that you go into muraqabah and dhikr and Allah is my Lord. No, 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 it has to be manifested. Islam is all about manifesting what's inside you. If it's not inside you, it won't manifest. The zahir and the batin has to be the same. So these are trials and tests that Allah throws us in all the time, every day. On a daily basis, you're going to have these tests. So it's not that easy to say, I believe Allah is my Lord. Okay, I'm happy with it. Are you happy with it? I don't think so, because you made this choice. It is a big choice in your family, and you did the wrong thing because of pressure, societal pressure, family pressure, financial pressure, whatever pressure there is. Yeah, so the, the process of developing, acquiring, procuring istiqama is lifelong. It doesn't stop anyway. It continues all the time, whether you're a student, whether you're employee, employer, whether you're the president of a country, whether you're a janitor, doesn't matter who you are, you'll always be thrown into situations where you need to make a choice. And when you make the right choice, that Allah is the one for whom I'm making this choice, then He is now your Rabb at that time. And if you make a choice for anyone besides Allah, then the one for whom you make the choice is your Rabb. If it's not Allah, then Allah is not your Rabb at that time until you reform, refine, amend yourself, and so on. So it is not as easy as it sounds. It's very flowery when somebody mentions the mystical and the Sufi components of istiqamah. But you fail and you fall flat on your face the next day when you have to make the choice. So it has to be manifested constantly, continuously. And this is what happened to the Sahaba. Uh, that this ayah was revealed for the Sahaba, that they were constantly, perpetually, always making the right choice, day after day after day until they died. That's istiqam. That's why we make tawbah every day and seek Allah's forgiveness for the choices we made. And we seek to reform ourselves all the time, correcting ourselves all the time, is part of the process. It's a lifelong process, just as you need to eat, and sleep every day, you need to do this every day. It won't stop because you went for Hajj and Umrah. I did my Hajj and Umrah, I'm free now. 
He won't stop because you did Tarawi or because you did Tahajjud. He won't stop because you did a huge favor to somebody. It doesn't stop. It's until you die. Because when you die, you're going to make the right choice. Allah is my Lord. So when you have istiqama, then this bashara comes to you when you die. As we mentioned in the surah, Hameen Sajdam. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا رَبُّنَ اللَّهُ ثُمَّ اسْتَخَامُوا تَتَنَزَّلُ عَلَيْهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ Then at time of death, when your Rabb is Allah, then angels will descend upon you. أَلَّا تَخَافُوا وَلَا تَحْسَنُوا وَأَبْشِرُوا بِالْجَنَّةِ الَّتِي كُنْتُمْ تُعَدُونَ Then the angels will announce that you have no fear and you have no grief and you are now going to be given glad tidings of the Jannah that has been promised to you. So we have to be, I think, a bit more serious about some of these words that we throw out all the time and so on. So it's more about making the right choice than anything else. It's about appreciating Allah is my Rabb. If you want lack of a better word, my mentor, my guide, my life coach, everything else that we use now in this society. So Allah is there to help you and guide you and make the right choice all the time. Then you need to seek Allah's fadl and you need to seek Allah's madad for this. That Allah help me make the right choice. Allah help me make you my Lord. Um, make you my Rabb. And so on. Then it comes to you through Allah's fadl. Not because of your actions. Allah's fadl has to accompany you in every choice you make. Now, sometimes you make the wrong choice based on a good niya, then Allah will forgive you for that. But if you make the wrong choice because of pressure, then that's not something that's good. So it has to be expressed, manifested in society, in culture, in your living. And that is the beauty of Islam, that Islam manifests itself everywhere, not just mystically, and spiritually in some dhikr or muraqaba, which is fine too. You should do that too. But then it has to mirror itself in life and in society and so on. So then definitely you have no fear and you have no grief because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you at all times and you're with him at all times. This is how we see these ayat now playing out. As I said, this, these ayat were revealed for the Sahaba. That it gave them encouragement to just continue doing what they were doing. Because you always need a pep talk. You always need motivation. So the Prophet was always encouraging the Sahaba, keeping them going, uh, keeping them hoping, being optimistic, and so on. So that's what a life coach is about. That's what your trainer does to you. Keep on going, it's okay. Mm, yeah, you'll get there, inshallah. So these motivations are necessary so that people develop the ability to create istiqama within themselves. And that is a very individual um, kind of preoccupation. And if everybody do, does it, then it becomes societal and so on. Then you are motivated to do what you need to do, and make the right choice. Making the right choice is perhaps the most difficult part of istiqama, at a micro level and also a macro level. And so everybody's tested, as I said. 
اولئك اصحاب الجنه خالدين فيها جزاء بما كانوا يعملون these are the companions of the garden of the jannah uh, meaning that these people now by their decisions and by their nature uh, not only deserve to be in jannah they are actually the companions of jannah yeah they go together jannah and these people they are compatible with each other they can live nowhere else except jannah the word ashab has a deeper implication than just being dwellers of jannah they're not dwellers of jannah they're residents of jannah that's just one one component they're compatible companions of jannah hmm? yeah some people live in countries and they know not compatible with the countries that's called residency that's not companionship i hope hmm? are you a companion of the country you live in if you are then you're in trouble <laughs> deep trouble you're residents there and you function as residents of that country you're citizens of the country you're not companions of the companion means that you agree with everything that company that uh, companionship gives you that's uh, not even the greatest american will say i'm compatible with america impossible okay so this compatibility is now it has to be eternal yeah right it is psychological state that i'm compatible with this that when you're compatible then everybody else who's in jannah is compatible with you and you're compatible with them so that's now the, the word sohba ashab companionship Uh, and being in the company of where you belong there and that's the only place you can live why is that because you have istikhama you always make the choice that allah is my rabb allah is my rabb allah is my rabb when you have that level of compatibility with allah's commands then you are compatible with allah's rahma which is manifested in jannah so now you're the companion of jannah not just a resident of jannah and then jannah obviously is eternal uh, it is beyond description in terms of its space and its vastness and all the luxuries and the forms of pleasure and bliss that you receive there so, so the khalidin fiha it is there they will live in there forever they will reside there forever they will be companions there forever but they be companions of each other so companionship obviously is with the place where you live and reside and companionship is with the other inhabitants uh, that's why the inhabitants of jannah will be always together on the same page all the time every time wherever they meet and whenever they meet they will be compatible with each other there will be no incompatibility in jannah so they will you will feel no resentment against anybody in jannah forever which is impossible to conceive uh, two human beings never arguing <laughs> that doesn't happen in hurry uh, you live with somebody you don't with somebody in very you're going to have a fight right husband and wives they fight just to survive 
Right? That's the nature of the relationship. When you say that in Jannah there be lies, only fear Allah one will ask salam, will ask ta'theem and illa qeel and salam and salam. That they'll hear no kind of harmful words from anyone except they'll be in a state of continuous peace, salam. To create that kind of place of abode, that has to be a miracle. Only Allah can do that. Yeah. So now everybody in this world wants to be uh, lovey-dovey, uh, hunky-dory and good to each other, nice. And Muslims must be nice to each other, which never happens. So. But in general, it will actually happen. You'll be not only okay with each other, you'll be happy that you're there and that other person is there too. There'll be no pride, no jealousy, no anger, no, what do you call it, um, any kind of issue with anybody in general. Because they're all on the same page. They, they have Allah as their Lord. So even in Jannah, everybody who is in Jannah will know Allah is their Lord. Even there. Who is your Lord in Jannah? It's not you. It's Allah. So even there, the Rububiyyah will manifest itself all the time. And the reason why you're there is because he allows you to be there. And so on. Jazam bima kanu This is a, a direct result compensation for whatever it is that they do, uh, what they used to do, and so on. Meaning the effect of istiqama is that you will be eligible to enter Jannah in that sense. So there's a cause and effect of everything. There's an effect of istiqama. The effect of istiqama is that you will live in paradise forever. This is the cause. So if you want now uh, longevity and you want durability, and you want the best in the result, return on your investment, then istiqama is what you need to invest in. So this is how the Qur'an encourages, motivates. Now when the Sahaba, they're reading and listening to this, they're immediately motivated. Ah, I know, I can see the finishing line there. I can see light. It's no longer a tunnel, it's just light. It's just nur in front of me. Yes, light at the end of the tunnel. There's no tunnel here. It's all nur. And that's what they see when they read and recite these ayat and they're hearing these ayat. Recite, and this is a struggle. Hijra is a struggle. Being with the Prophet in jihad is a struggle. Sacrificing this, this is a struggle. Making these decisions every day is a struggle. But they see nur in front of them. They see jannah in front of them. And then, then jannah beckons and calls them and then throw themselves towards Jannah and so on. So it's motivational. That's what Muslims need. They need to be motivated. Given something else besides the myth that they live with and that Islam is secular and so on. So this a discussion on how Muslims, if they are true to their Lord and to Allah being their Rabb, they will gain istiqama and if they have istiqama, the istiqama will translate on the other side into living in Jannah uh, forever, eternally. And that is the bottom line. The prophets come to give good news, bashara, to those who do good, and they come to warn people who don't do good. So now you see the two uh, see the reasons for the Prophet's awesome mission. Tabshir and Indar comes into play. Uh, so this 
a brief discussion on some of these ayat for today, inshallah. We make dua Allah subhanahu allows us to recite the Qur'an and to understand the Qur'an and to uh, practice the Qur'an the way the Sahaba practiced the Qur'an with the ease and afiyah. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayri khadqi. Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi wa rahmatihi 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 wa